story come out about uh, Robin Williams um, taking his life. And people um, said, you know, he was, was such a funny man, and he, he brought laughter and uh, to a lot, a lot of people. Uh, but I tell you, I tell you, folks, there's a lot of people, and even people uh, in in the church. They wear a mask real good. Amen. Matter of fact, I posted online. Now I'll, I'll let you know my age and uh, what I did. And this is this this was back before I started preaching. But uh, in in nineteen in nineteen sixty seven, uh, a guy uh, by the name of Smokey Robbins had, Robinson had a group and it called the Miracles. And he's still, and matter of fact, he's doing a lot of gospel nowadays. I heard him do some uh, teaching on a, on a TV program. But in 1967, he put out. A, they put out a song called "The Tears of a Clown When There's No One Around." And I thought about that as soon as I heard about uh, 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 Robin Williams. Uh, and as people are more and more talking about the, uh, the depression that he was under, and Everything that um, that was really really bothering him, and uh, I thought, my my, what a what a shame! Uh, and uh, but there there's a lot of people, amen. They might greet you with a smile, but inside they're crying. Hallelujah! And I pray, I pray, God help me uh, as a minister. And just as a person and a, and a Christian, God help me to be more sensitive, amen, to some people, amen, that, uh, uh, that, I, that I deal with, amen, in, in life. Because, uh, you know, we don't never really know what's going on with a person on the inside. Unless God, unless God shows you, and he can and he, he does do that, God speaks, gives words of wisdom and knowledge. But... Um, there's a uh, there's a lot of people just like him that's on the verge, and uh, the thing about it is, uh, somebody takes their own life, uh, you know, they don't have a whole lot of hope, do they? You know, I mean, if I uh, put a gun to my head, and blow my brains out, I'm not going to have time to say, "Forgive me, Jesus," you know. Uh, and uh, it's um, it's sad, but it's it's the way it's it's the times in the world that we're uh, that we're living in, and uh, we need to, we need to really be more sensitive. All right, let's move on uh, tonight um, in our studies, and um, we are we divided as I've said before the book of Revelation in in the sevens. We've talked about three or four different kinds of sevens. It's in the book of Revelations. We talked about the seven blessings of Revelations. Then you had the seven candlesticks, which are the seven churches, and um, and uh, seven spirits of God, and all those things. And 
that's the kind of the way I'm focusing this study rather than go verse by verse and chapter by chapter trying to pull out the highlights. And I'm going to repeat something that I repeated when I first started. You know, uh, we're dealing in prophecy and uh, there's a lot of typology here. There's symbolic language. There's a lot of allegories that's uh, recorded uh, in a revelation. And uh, a lot of these things are subject to uh, uh, interpretation. And I don't get mad at somebody or aggravated or nothing if they don't agree with everything the way I, uh, the way I see it. I mean, you can put five preachers upon this platform, and I guarantee you, you'll be doing good if you can get three out of the five that will agree, you know, on everything uh, has to do with prophecy. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's anything that's not a salvation issue. You know, I mean, I know people just get all upset and they'll quit fellowship with somebody because, so, well, I, I, I believe pre and I believe post or, or, or mid or, or, or whatever. And um, had, had a guy come to me once and said, how do you see that? And I, I could pick it up just like that, that he had a bad spirit about it. And so I just said, well, brother, I don't really care. I said, I don't, I said as long as I'm ready when he comes, you know, that's, that's what matters. But studying these things is important for us today to keep them before our mind because, folks, we are living in this time. We are living in this time. And we can see things happening uh, every day. Uh, and I'm starting off, and I've called our, our lesson on the seven seals, God's judgment is coming. That's a fact. Now, that's one thing everybody should be able to agree on. God's judgment is, is coming. And we better be ready. A lot of people is going to be caught unaware. Uh, and uh, when that judgment hits, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be harsh. Look here. Think about this. Think about this, please. God told Noah to build an ark. And he said, for the saving of you and your family. For the saving of you and your family. I, I have... Um, a little difference in some of my fellow ministers on that. Uh, but uh, the whole time Noah was building that ark, he was building for him and his family. Judgment is already set for everybody else. Before the, they, he didn't have nails before the first peg was, was drove in, you know. Uh, and uh, when he got in the ark, the Bible says God closed him in and the rain came. Let me tell you something. There was mothers holding babies outside the door of that ark. And I don't, I don't know if, if, if God helped it in some kind of way where no one them couldn't hear all the terrible screams on the outside or what. I don't know. I don't know how it was. I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there. But um, uh, folks need to realize, adults need to realize 
one thing that's important, why you need to get yourself straight, because if you don't live for God, it's very well possible, amen, that not only could you bring judgment on yourself, but you could bring judgment on your children and on your grandchildren. Because you won't line up. You know, judgment's coming. And we're going to try uh, to... um, understand a little bit about these seven seals uh, that uh, is recorded in Revelation. And uh, we're going to, as as in your handout there, uh, Revelation 5 and uh, 1, and uh, what I've got done on that is through the uh, New King James Version. I believe what I've got on your handout is is, uh, the regular King James, so there might be uh, a little difference as we read there, but He said, And I saw, and in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll uh, written. And King James says book, but it's it's a scroll. That's that's what their books was back then. A scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And uh, uh, that's all you got in your hand up, but I'm going to go ahead and and read one more verse, verse 4. John said, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the book and read the scroll or to look at it. Now, as is in your handouts for tonight, after John's vision of the seven churches and of the dispensation of grace, uh, which they represent, John was transported by the Spirit into the third heaven where he saw the throne along with the majesty and splendor that surrounds it. He noticed the one on the throne had a book, had a scroll, which was sealed with seven seals. Amen. Hallelujah. It was sealed with seven seals, but no one was worthy to break the seals uh, to open the book. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, we're going to read a little bit more scripture. Verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. As you remember, he began to weep when the Ed was holding this book, this scroll, uh, and it had seven seals on it. Uh, you know, let me, let me give you a vague uh, kind of illustration. Uh, I used to work at a warehouse where we would uh, load boxcars with uh, different kind of materials. And after we got the boxcar and everything loaded and we got everything secured, we'd close the door and we'd clamp a seal on that, on that thing. And when it got to the end of the line, no matter where that may be, the first thing they'd check to see if the seal, you know, was broken or not. All right. There was a scroll. There was a book. And it not only had just one seal, but it had seven different seals on it 
that had to be broken before the total revelation uh, could be uh, could be seen. Uh, he said, one of the elders said to him, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of, of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Hallelujah. As though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out unto all the earth. Amen. Um, as the scene in heaven continues to unfold, and John is viewing all this stuff, man, I, I can't imagine what, you know, he, he's there and God is just, Showing all this stuff, a big panorama of all these things. John is told of one who had prevailed to open the book and loose the seals. What he saw was three uh, uh, characteristics or three designations of the person of Christ, uh, which relates to three designations of the Son of God. He said, and we, don't, we read this, he called him the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know how well you can see that lion in the background there. The root of David and the lamb slain. That's three characteristics and designations of Jesus. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. I like that. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, I heard people say sometimes, oh, man, you know, devil, devil, devil's after me. He's hot on my trail, you know, and the Bible, the Bible said the devil's like a roaring lion seeking who may. You don't have to worry about the roaring lion, amen, if you know the lion of the tribe. There's another lion in the forest. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And guess what? He is the king. Hallelujah. He is the king. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So that was the designations. Uh, uh, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb uh, uh, that, was, that was slain. Okay, now, let's go just a little bit further. On, on your next page there, page number 39, uh, 29, I believe it is. Uh, 29, God's book of judgment. The seven seals are on God's book of judgment. That's what the scroll is. Uh, that's what the book is. Uh, uh, that will be poured out on all nations who rejected God's offer of salvation during the dispensation of grace. But only Christ was found worthy to break each seal and open the book. Amen. Only Christ. Why? Why Jesus? Why was he the only one? Well, the Bible says, first of all, that all judgment is committed to the Son. Amen. Now, 
some people have difficulty when you start talking about uh, uh, God the Father and you talk about the Son, you know, uh, and, but there's no problem there. Well, you understand we're not talking about, we're not talking about two persons, but two offices that one hold. Hallelujah. Amen. Two offices that one, and, and, all judgment is committed to the Son. Somebody has got, got a Bible, your Bible with you. Turn to uh, St. John chapter 5 and verse 22. I'm going to use some people to help me turn to these scriptures because I didn't, uh, uh, my time is really cut short now that I'm back driving that bus and uh, I didn't have time to put them all in there. Who's, who's got John chapter 5 and verse 22? Read it, Brother uh, Art. Read that one more time. That's one reason why nobody was found worthy on heaven and earth to open the seals because this represents the opening of judgment against everybody on the planet. And the Bible says right there in John 5.22 that the Father judges no man but as committed all judgment to the Son. And then another reason why, only those without sin can administer judgment to another. That's one reason why I don't understand we got so many saints going around trying to judge other saints. Hallelujah. What it, you know, well, John chapter 8 and verse 7, somebody read that. Hallelujah. All right, now we all know we all know what that story right there is. Uh, when they brought uh, the woman to Jesus, caught in the very act of adultery, you know, and here was the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they they didn't have this woman, and they throwed her down in front of Jesus. Now, we caught this woman in the very act. The law says, but what says thou? <laughs> well, you know, what, you know what blows a big trumpet or blows a whistle with me? Those men wasn't concerned about the law because if you go back in the Old Testament and read what the law said, yeah, it said anybody caught in the act of adultery is to be stoned both the man and the woman. Where was the man? If they caught her in the act, there had to be a man there. They weren't concerned about the law. Both parties were supposed to be stoned to death according to the law. But they was trying to trip up the Lord. They was trying to catch him to try. They could twist something and, and say, oh man, he's teaching something different than what the law said. Jesus says... He that's without sin. So that's another reason why Jesus is the only one found worthy. There's nobody without sin but him. Now, I'm sorry. I, I ran across some people in Pentecost in my years since I've been, been apostolic. And, uh, and when I was very young, and some, uh, some of the, uh, the earliest ones that I sat, sat under, 
made everybody think, man, they they were completely sinless, you know. You know, I mean, I I mean, you know, here here I was this young kid coming along, fourteen year old, and uh and, and hear him talk and everything. And, uh, you know, you think they already done sprouted their wings with a halo on them. Well, Jesus Christ is the only one who lived the perfect sinless life. Amen. And so that's another reason. Hebrews 4 and 15. Somebody read that scripture. <laughs> he was without sin. He was tempted and tested in all points like you and I, yet he didn't mess up. Not one time. Not one time. He earned the right, Revelation 5 and 9, and we know that. See, he was worthy. He was worthy to open up and bust the seals and open up the book because nobody else was found worthy, but Jesus, amen, was found uh, worthy. Okay. Uh, we want to um, do an overview of what the seven seals are. You got the white horse, uh, the red horse. the black horse, the pale horse. Then the fifth seal represents martyred saints, men and women who had their lives stole from them for, uh, for the testimony of Jesus. The sixth seal talks about cataclysmic destruction on the earth. And then when the seventh seal is opened, a silence in heaven for short period of time. So these seven things is what we're going to be talking about in the next two or three weeks. Uh, I'm only going to I'm only going to um, I'm only going to do uh, uh, one at a time uh, and give us time to talk but the first four seals was four horses that rode out. Uh, that was the first four seals. And in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2, And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. The first horse is white and marks the beginning of the seven-year period known as the last seven years of tribulation. The color white in this case is a symbol of peace, which speaks of the deception of a false Christ who rides out to conquer the world by a false peace. I know things looks bad right now, but things has got a little bit, got to get a little bit worse. Things are going to get so bad, and there's going to be so much trouble on this planet that the world leaders 
is going to hand over everything to the one man who's going to stand up and say, I've got the problem. I can bring peace to the world. I can, I can solve all the problems. And the leadership of the world will put him in charge. He is the Antichrist. Uh, some have uh, thought that because of the color white, well, this must be Christ. But there's a big difference in this horse and the horse rider we're going to see later on further in Revelation. Many incorrectly assume that this rider is to be Christ because of the color white. But we should never forget that Satan is the best impersonator that this world has ever known. He never approaches his prey in a manner which he could easily be recognized. Devil don't come to somebody uh, uh, with a long pointed tail and a pitchfork. You'd recognize him if he did. Amen. He don't appear that way. Amen. He don't look that way. The devil's an angel. He's a fallen angel, but he's an angel. And the Bible says that uh, uh, he uh, has transformed himself to an angel of light. And in the very near future, there's going to be somebody, there's going to be a man stand on the world scene that's going to bring peace. Look at all the trouble that happened in Israel in the Middle East. There will be somebody step in and sign a seven-year peace treaty. They, they keep trying and everything falls through over there and there's still all kind of problems. But I'm telling you, there's going to be a treaty signed. It's going to be, it's going to be for seven years. When that treaty signed, that's going to be when this white horse rides out. He's going to say, I've got a plan here. The Jews and the Palestinians and the Syrians and, and all of these people and all these other nations, people in Afghanistan and all, bringing peace but it, it's going to be phony it's going to be a false peace don't be deceived by it don't be, don't be deceived by it Jesus himself also identified this white horse rider as those claiming an anointing of God but their anointing is not genuine now in, uh, uh, in Matthew uh, uh, chapter 24 and, and verse Verse, verse 5, and I, it's, I don't have this on screen, but I got it in your handout. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Uh, don't just sit around neither and wait for somebody to get up and say, Well, you know, I'm I'm Christ. Does somebody know what the uh, uh, the term and the title Christ means? Anybody remember? Christ means the anointed one. He who's anointed, the Messiah. So you can take this scripture right here and you can say, this is referring to to any man that claims to have some type of anointing on his life, but yet he magnifies himself, brother, he's not magnifying God. He lifts up himself 
but he's not lifting up God. The closer we get to the end time and all this stuff coming together, you're going to see more signs and wonders. You're going to see more miracles. But I'm going to, and, and, and people today, I've had people tell me about some of these guys on uh, on TV. Well, you know, they got to have, they got to be a normal guy. Look at this, this miracle. I don't look at some of the miracles that I see to judge whether or not they're false or not. Amen. I listen to what they teach. Hallelujah. Amen. Remember back when Moses went to Egypt and and God God gave gave him a a, a, a stick. Well, he had a walking stick, and when he he, he went to Pharaoh, uh, one of the things that he would uh, uh, do to show that he would come from God, he threw that that stick down, and it turned into a snake. Guess what Pharaoh did? He called his magicians up there, had two or three magicians out there, and they all took sticks and they all throw them down, and they all become snakes. Hallelujah. The devil's a great imitator. He can talk in tongues better than everybody in this house. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't, I, I don't look at stuff like that. Amen. A lot of people are so gullible, they'll fall on I mean, you know. Uh, oh man, they—they're not fault like that. Don't mean nothing. Amen. If what they are teaching and preaching is not the Word of God, that's what we better listen. If we don't, if we use any other criteria, you're in danger of being deceived one day. Amen. We got to go by the Word of God. Christ is a title held by Jesus which identifies him as the Messiah. And I've already said this, and i got this in your handout. And it is, in the Greek, actually means anointed one. There are many who have claimed to have an anointing of God on their lives, but when you examine their fruits, their fruits prove them to be false. Did you know there's a scripture that a lot of people pull out of context? Jesus says, by their fruits you shall know them. That's one reason... That's one excuse why a lot of church people is always going around trying to judge everybody else. Oh, well, this is over there. Sister Song's I got some bad fruit. Go back and read that verse again where it says, By their fruits you shall know them. He wasn't talking about the lay people in the church. He was talking about preachers. False prophets. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, By your, their fruits you shall know them. Amen. That's what we have to be concerned with. Um, the ultimate deceiver will be a collimation of all false spirits and teachers and will be personified in the man of sin who is also called the son of perdition whom the Jews will accept as their Messiah and the world will worship as God. My Lord. My, do you? I, I I hope I don't I hope I don't offend nobody in here tonight. I, I, it's not my my aim to do so, but uh, I I, I want to make an illustration of that's very close. It wasn't long ago that some people was actually calling Obama the Messiah. When he first come on the scene, 
Amen. And I heard something, I seen something just yesterday that really highly upset me. I can't, I can't believe it. they're doing it. But, you know, in Washington, D.C., they have uh, a, a building. Uh, and we drove, we drove around the last time we went to Washington, D.C. Uh, it's called the Kennedy Center. And it was built in honor of our president who was assassinated. And, you know, they have the Kennedy Center honors. You know, you see different performers and stuff. And you don't get, get awards and whatever. There are some people in Washington that's talking about changing the name of the Kennedy Center to the Obama Center. I seen that just yesterday. I said, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. Well, anyway, let me move on. White horse, symbolic of false righteousness and peace portrayed by the deception of of the Antichrist. Um, again, the scriptures here in your handout. I don't have it on the screen. Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verses thirteen through fifteen. He said, "For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder." For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. This, this man I'm talking about that's going to be the leader of the one world government, he's going to look charming. He's going to have sweet talk. He's going, he's going to be nice to look at. Everybody's going to, I mean, when they look at him, you know, just judging by the flesh, you're going to fall in love with him. Oh, he's our Savior. He's bringing peace to the world, feeding all the hungry children around the world. Ain't this great? Ain't his works what he's doing good? But this, this is how the Bible says Satan's going to take over. Uh Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Now, notice a little bit something about this white horse rider. said he had a bow, but he didn't say anything about the arrows. Then you're going out to battle, Brother Paul. That's significant. That's significant that some people over, overlook. Symbolic of a weapon without any ammunition. The scriptures teach he will, he will conquer by peace and flattery. He's not going to come in and take over. The Bible says that the world's going to hand it all to him on a silver platter. He ain't going to come in with an army and, and defeat America. Amen. Uh, the people that's in America at the time, amen, they're going to give it all up. And don't be surprised at that. Think about how many minor freedoms have been given up since 9-11. Amen. 
a whole lot more than what people realize. A whole lot more. He's, gonna, he's going to take over by peace and flattery. Listen to Daniel chapter 11 and verse 21. This is referring to our time when the man of sin comes on the scene, the Antichrist. Daniel eleven twenty-one, And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. He's going to be a sweet talker, folks. He's going to be a sweet talker. Amen. I've, I've got to... I've got to uh, hold on, uh, uh, hurry on. Uh, a crown was given him, it says. It, didn't, it wasn't something that uh, inherit with him. It was given to him. A crown was given to him. It speaks of power and authority which he didn't earn or was entitled to by right of heritage. It was allowed him... To use for a purpose and a season. Going back to Daniel, see, the only way, uh, the only way to understand Revelation, all of it, you've got to you've got to be able to tie that, the book of Daniel and Revelation together. Daniel seven and twenty five, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. You've heard me quote that before when preaching. And think to change times and laws. Look out for the politician who wants to go in and change. And you know, we got, we got a bunch in Washington in the Congress and the one sitting in the White House that right now would do anything they could do to go and change the Constitution of this country. Amen. And it will eventually, it will eventually happen totally. Amen. Uh, they shall be given into his hand until a time, times, and a dividing times. That's three and a half years. Uh, so this crown is given to him for a time. This power is given to him for a time. Uh, Revelation 13 and 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Says he's going forth conquering and to conquer. That phrase means overcoming and intent on domination. World domination. That's what, that's what he's looking for. Daniel 9, 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one night. Now this right here. This is right here is where we get the seven-year peace treaty at. And if you want to mark this in your handout, uh, Daniel 9 and 7, he shall confirm the covenant. Covenant is, the, wor the word covenant means an agreement. Amen. Agreement uh, between one or, or two or more parties. An agreement. And... It says he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination he shall make it desolate 
even unto the consummation, that that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Uh, We have covered quickly a whole lot of grounds tonight. Has anybody got any comments or questions about what I've talked about? Brother Art. Right. Right. Yeah, but that's we'll get we'll get to them further along in in, in Revelation. The uh, the seven year tribulation period is divided into two parts: the first three and a half years and the last three. The first three and a half years is when we're gonna you know, and it's when we're gonna see these horses ride out and all this stuff take take over. And for that period of time, things are going to look like it's gotten better and everything is looking up. But in the middle of that seven years or in the middle of the week, then the man who everybody's done gave power to is going to change his color. And that temple, and by the way, I read, I, I, on my iPad, I, I have a copy of the Jerusalem Post. I wouldn't live without it. I don't, I, I don't waste my time on the National Tennessean no more because it's got so much of liberal junk in it, I couldn't mind it. But uh, I, I, I keep this Jerusalem Post. And right now, there's rabbis bringing the stuff together, getting ready to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem. They are using DNA on all the Jews that's alive in Israel right now so they can determine from DNA which ones are ancestors of the original tribe of Levi. Why, why would they be doing that? Because when the temple is built again, only the Levitical priesthood This Antichrist, when he changes his color, he, uh, he's going to bring about peace and he's going to actually help the Jews in the rebuilding of this thing. And they're going to accept him as the Messiah. They are. They're going to believe he is. But then in the middle of it, after the first three and a half years, Brother Art, he's going to set up the abomination of desolation in that temple. He's going to set his ruling throne right inside there. And that's where he's going to say, I'm going to rule the world. It's going to happen. And uh, the only hope, the only hope anybody has is those who's in the church, covered by the blood. If you're a child of God, you're covered by His blood, filled with the Spirit, you don't have anything to worry about. God's going to, God's going to, I'm not telling you, you, you're, you're not going to have some struggles. Because, look, every, you know as well as, I do, out of all the good we see in the, in the church, the church right now is nowhere near what she should be and needs to be before God takes her away. Right? And, you know, so we're going to have to.
we're going to have to go through some stuff, amen, that will tighten up 